Welcome to We're Not Wizards. We are the best, but not wizards. Enjoy the show! My name's Richard. I'll be your host for July. It's well, it's almost the end of July. We're kind of tailing off into July and we're heading into August, which some people kind of think of as the summer, as they think of where the big, the big burny hot ball of fire in the sky crosses the horizon more and more. But we are entering into hopefully into the colder, the colder months, the colder, colder times. Because at the moment, I'll be honest with you, sometimes it feels like we've not just got a ball of the, the ball of fire outside. We've actually got a dragon out there blowing fire across the sky and actually making the whole place incredibly hot, especially over the last couple of months. Um, so I wanted to have somebody on the show who maybe knows a little bit about dragons or dracos, as they know. So I have brought on William Burgos from Draco Studios. And we're going to talk a whole pile of different things. We're going to talk a little bit about Lords of Valor. We might even talk about flightless extinct birds riding on dinosaurs. <laughs> we shall see what we can do. Um, but thank you very, very much for for joining joining us on the show. William, how, how are you? Are you well? Hello. Well, thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. And yeah, we're very good. Uh, in preparations for Gen Con right now. <laughs> Do you is are you going to be spending the entire kind of weekend, couple of days up at Gen Con? Is it the whole the whole time at Gen Con for yourself? Yeah, I, I usually arrive a bit earlier to make sure. Mm. Since we're based in Mexico, sometimes we have to to figure out how to get stuff for the booth in Indianapolis, mm-hmm. and I'll be the, the whole weekend until the Sunday and, and Monday after Jenkin. And because you're coming from Mexico, do you need to have kind of, and you're crossing the border into, into the US, do you have to have like, is it kind of extra paperwork and stuff like that to get your stuff? Have you got a, a ticket? Are you, are you going to be shipping a lot of your materials directly to Indianapolis or do you take a big truck up there or do you fly it up there? How do you, how do you get up to did well, luckily know? this time uh, we are more prepared than previous <laughs> years. <laughs> right. Um, and this time we decided to produce our stuff for the booth in the uh-huh. U.S. rather oh, than right. in Mexico <laughs> and ship it to the U.S., which was <laughs> a nightmare. Uh, yes. Stuff didn't arrive or, you know, crazy custom expenses. Yes. Uh, but, but this time we decided let's just produce in the U.S. Uh-huh. and ship it right there within the us and the good thing is that since our games are already in there Mm -hmm. uh, we don't have to bring anything else other than uh pre-production copies or painted minis and ourselves (laughs) and a sandwich and a drink yeah yeah (laughs) some some food we we especially miss the mexican food (laughs) once we are in 
Oh wow. I mean <clears throat> I mean obviously there are there are probably a lot of decent Mexican style restaurants in Gen Con or roundabout kind of the that area. But is it kind of has it been kind of watered down by kind of people kind of living in America for some time? I mean, is there a couple of places you can go to when you're at Gen Con where you know you're gonna get actual proper Mexican food, or is it going to be stuff that's been made so Americans can eat it? <laughs> yeah, it's not the same to try Mexican food in in another country. The ingredients, yeah. you know, are not the same. So we go prepare like to go to uh, what is it called? Steak, steak and shake, I think. <laughs> um, and we eat uh, good hamburgers with the milkshakes, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's usually uh, great. <laughs> the only problem with that is. If you go to Gen Con and you eat all the food there, you'll end up putting on a couple of <laughs> a couple of pounds while you're there if you're if you're eating all the burgers and drinking all, all the shakes and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, and also the Gen Con pizza, <laughs> the, the signature one. <laughs> I've I've only the only I've never been to America, and all all I've heard about America is that everything is a lot bigger. Is that a portion sizes are an awful lot bigger? The pizzas are bigger. The, yeah. the the burgers are huge that you get burgers that are stacked literally about the size of a small dragon and <laughs> you've got the, you've got to eat the whole thing because otherwise the cook looks at you funny yeah they that's very true they, <laughs> they wonder kind of what, what they've done um you're an you're a you're a native of uh, of of mexico um uh, so <laughs> in terms of because we hear okay we hear about the gaming scene in in here in the United Kingdom we hear about the gaming scene in Europe we hear about the gaming scene in the United States but when you were growing up was there kind of like the same variations of kind of like you know monopoly and were modern modern board games did you get kind of versions of Catan and stuff like that did you did you play Catan I mean what was your journey into getting involved in kind of board games kind of growing up in Mexico uh, that's a great question because in Mexico, board games are usually not widely available. Uh, mm-hmm. That has changed over the years, but in the past, it was more like um, the the typical games that are more like toys toys for for kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so usually, when I would travel to the U.S. on vac- vacations when I was a kid, uh, I would discover the trading card games and Pokemon mm-hmm. was the first one. So I was deeply interested in, in, in those, in the collecting cards aspect. And Pokemon brought me later to Yu-Gi-Oh!, to Magic the Gathering, until I discovered the, the trading card game community here in Mexico. And I yes. started to connect with, with people and friends. And eventually one of them were uh, very no, uh, knowledgeable about board games. They mm-hmm. showed me Carcassonne. Catan, King of Tokyo, you know, the gateway wow. games. Yeah. And I just fell in love with that. <laughs> and it started what it's today, Draco Studios, <laughs> because we started to design our own games as many people who who are players first. When you were at when you were at school, were you quite creative at school then? I mean, were you into your art or were you into your language or you into your because I find what I found out more and more is that a lot of people who are into board games kind of like their kind of their maths yeah, and they like their probabilities and they like to mucking around with, you know, cause it's all very well 
saying I'm creative. It's like, yeah, I can draw, but I can't design a board game. But what kind of subjects did you like kind of doing at school when you were growing up? Yeah, that, that's very um, uh, spot on because I, I, I originally I was very bad at math, but mm. at certain point in high school, I figure out that math was like a game or like a puzzle for the brain. Yeah. And I started to enjoy math quite a lot. And uh-huh. I then represented my my school in in the regional math Olympics, the, wow. the contests, the tournaments. Uh, wow. So I, I became really good with, with math. But on the other hand, I always loved uh, to draw and, and to play the piano and music. So I ended up uh, doing a major on music production and, and wow, audio engineering. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So it was like a funny combination. And eventually that brought me into a studio that made music for tele- uh, for TV. Yeah. And one of the those TV shows that we made music for was like a huge crowdfunding event for, for handicapped children. It's called Telethon here in Latin America. Yeah, yeah, and 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 then when I discovered Kickstarter, I was like, mm, "This is very familiar to the crowdfunding that it's done in my work." <laughs> so one thing <laughs> yeah. started to lead into another, and connecting the dots, like Steve just used to say. <laughs> so when did you, when did you? Because I, I, looking at Board Game Geek, I've got a game called Tricksters. Yeah. Which, so was that the first game that you? I, I mean, I'm sure there literally tens of other games that are in prototype form that didn't reach a final version but was tricksters kind of like one of the first games that you worked on yeah well it was the first game we published not the first we designed mm. and attempt to to create um but yeah at that point in november of 2016 <laughs> wow we we have a Stop. crowdfunding yes <laughs> Seven years ago. <laughs> yes, seven years ago. It's, it's been a while. Uh, we, we had a, a crowdfunding platform here in Mexico, which was called Fondeadora. And mm. Kickstarter decided to, bought, to, to buy that uh, platform to yeah. become Kickstarter Mexico. So they opened their doors to Mexican creators. We heard wow. about that. And then we, we funded Tricksters, which had amazing art. It was a, a light card game, and it became the first Mexican project to fund, um, like officially from the Kickstarter Mexico opening. And that led into me meeting other people in the community in Mexico who uh-huh. would ask for advice for Kickstarter. And today I have managed uh, 30 Kickstarter campaigns. Wow. So, uh, yeah, I, I kind of became like a... You're like a guru. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I enjoy helping people, but and um, and and also I believe that uh, Kickstarter opens the doors to many uh, creative projects, especially here in Mexico, where we don't have as much of uh, you know awareness or um, yeah uh, communities. Yeah. Yeah. As I say, that's why I was asking the question about kind of how big the board game community was kind of in Mexico, because I think um, I think people forget it's very kind of US, European, kind of UK centric. I know that recently um, Japan 
this come on comes on the map quite a lot mm-hmm. in terms of kind of like the games out there. But apart from that, I know that there's still there's probably areas. It's kind of interesting. I think um um kind of like there's parts of you know the big continent of Africa now where you're starting to see kind of board game kind of you know you're hearing about board game kind of communities kind of springing up there. So it's still an ex- it's kind of like an exciting time to see um kind of different companies from other parts of the world that just aren't the kind of the three ones that would be associated with board games kind of coming up. So you did Tricksters, then there was Heroes or Hero Prepare Your Champion. And then there was the what the first one that I was aware of that kind of caught my eye from yourself was the the Dodos riding dinos. And I saw that kind of I saw I think I saw that across kind of main kind of Kickstarter. Um and so when you were was there what was the kind of the development journey like for Dodo's Rhining Dinos then? Was that a long time in development? Did you work on that quite some time to do? Oh well I'm I'm more of the producer for, for games because after Tricksters, well originally Hero Prepared Your mm. Champion was the first project we tried to fund through a cousin in in Germany because mm-hmm. back in the day Kickstarter was not available in Mexico. So that was the very first and then Tricksters was like the official one that was published. After that, um, yeah, I started to meet other people as I was uh, mentioning and among those it was Pepe Magba who mm. had Detestable Games, which is a board game incubator here in Mexico and now mm-hmm. in Latin America. Uh, well, uh, even Spain uh, this year. So Detestable Games started as a board game design course uh-huh. where people would incubate their projects along with Pepe Magba and mm-hmm. other people who have been spending a while uh, in the board game scene in Mexico. Uh, Pepe Magba has uh, board game cafes here in Mexico. And, wow. and then I, I became very good uh, friends uh, with him. And mm-hmm. I... I love the concept of detestable games and the idea of of how um, in Mexico there are very talented people. Uh, yeah. they, they just need some support and help to to publish projects. So at the end of the board game design course, Pepe uh, would share with me the the final projects once yeah. incubated, and one of them was Microcard, the board game. And it was basically Mario Kart with meeples and, you know, the cards yeah. were the shells. Yeah. It was, I played that and I said, this is the best Mexican <laughs> design I have ever played. And I believe this will be for a long while the best one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But we cannot publish this uh, without a proper license from Nintendo. And that might oh, yeah, yeah. take, yeah. Yeah, years. Uh, <laughs> Money. Years, million, exactly. Mil- yeah, Money. millions. <laughs> you know. Exactly. So... Back then, we were funding a project with, which was War for Chicken Island from Ivan Escalante from Nomo Sapiens. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, uh, other uh, uh, team that I met during my Kickstarter journey. Mm-hmm. And I just love to incorporate the backers into the development progress uh, process. And I would ask, I don't know, uh, this, for this stretchable, what would you like? Uh, backer choice polls? Something mm-hmm. like that. And after the project funded, we said, like, we have a great uh, racing game 
what would you like it to be? And, and Abaker suggested chickens riding dinosaurs. Right, uh, okay. So it was not originally my idea. Uh, right. Uh, I have to credit the backers for, for that. <laughs> right. And, and eventually we decided we, we don't have to do chickens all the time. Why not doing another extinct bird species, even though it was not contemporary to the dinosaurs? And that's yeah, yeah, yeah. Dollar Shrine Dinosaur was born, and later a sequel and other games. Because you've got you've got the Dodo Dash. You've Dodo got Dash, which is a Sevatonaurus as well. So Sevatonaurus was the I think it was the, one of the first ones. Um, so are you are you overall you are you 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 sounding to me like you're more kind of like a kind of like producer director, kind of person who is organizing. You're yeah. using your, you use your creative experience, but. It sounds to me like you're acting like a mentor to a lot of people and you're kind of giving guidance to people and people can come because sometimes what I see is that somebody will have a good idea and they'll have they'll have a good idea, they'll have a great game, they'll have a wonderful way of they'll have get wonderful feedback from everybody on how it plays. But they need somebody like a they need some it's ironic, but over here we have a, we have a show called, uh, well, in America, it's called Shark Tank. Over here, it's called Dragon's Den. Yeah. So I'm going to use the analogy. It sounds like you kind of what we call a dragon, kind of looking, <laughs> looking out for you and looking and kind of looking over you and kind of giving you the guidance and the kind of experience. And I'm guessing with the number of Kickstarter campaigns that you've been involved in, people were coming to you and saying, I've got this brilliant idea for a game, but I have no idea how to get it out there. So you were kind of helping them kind of with that and get it out there. Is that, is that, is that, is that right? Uh, at the beginning, yes, I would help a lot of Kickstarter creators, even mm. from different categories and board games. And mm. the, the staff from Kickstarter Mexico uh, used to call me for seminaries and uh, events that they mm. would do to promote Kickstarter and awareness of crowdfunding. Uh, but post-COVID, the team from Kickstarter Mexico uh, had to disappear. Mm. And now there's, well, Mexican people can still create their projects. They, there's no longer staff based in Mexico. Right. And yeah, I met more people and we created Draco Studios. That's uh, another part of the story of background. Mm. But at that point, time would become very limited for me. And now even more than ever, uh, I recently yeah. became a father. So yes. time is very limited. And the way we still do that is with detestable games being the first point of contact. Yes. So for in order for, for me and Draco Studios to consider uh, a project for uh, to publish the game, uh, we need to make um, get the recommendation directly from the detestable games, from people who successfully finished the board game course. Mm -hmm. And luckily this year, um, Pepe was able to expand it online to all of Latin America and Spain. Wow. He just received three over 300 applications of people interested in making their board games. Mm -hmm. And I hope that eventually we can make that available in worldwide like in language barriers getting down and 
So with you having the connection to Spain then, does that give you a doorway and a gateway into kind of dealing with more people in Europe as well then? Um, or is it primarily just creators from Spain that you're dealing with? Uh, it was primarily creators from Mexico. Now it's, uh, yeah, Spain and Chile. Chile is big, wow. very big at, at board game uh, scene. And there's some from Colombia or other uh, Latin American countries. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So let, let's talk about um, Draco Studios Yeah. for a bit. I mean, you go from... <laughs> you're kind of going to kind of riding dinos to kind of like this big, huge vision of this. I mean, Draco is, it's a, it looks like a big kind of almost like corporate entity. What made you decide to kind of put something together under kind of like what, what kind of, where was the idea to create something like Draco studios? Where did that come from? It's, it's a story that in Mexico we, uh, sometimes we tell as, as the Avengers <laughs> assemble. <laughs> <laughs> so after I, I founded on Kickstarter, I gathered with some of the people I, I created tricksters with, including mm-hmm. sculptors and illustrators, game mm-hmm. designers. And, and yeah, back then people would reach out to, to me and, and my team to... Um, it was not called Draco Studios back then. It was just another name, either tower. And one one day I met someone here in Mexico, uh, Daniel Cerviche, mm. who he he told me that he had a big project in mind, and I was like, okay, let's meet and yeah. tell me more about that. And what he told me is still um, excites me and, and shocks me because the first thing he said was. I want to build the next Star Wars. <laughs> wow. Okay. So I, I still, to, to this day, I, I say like, aim for the stars and maybe you'll land in the moon, right? Yeah. So he started telling me of this idea of starting a, a, a community around board games and stories like immersive experiences and eventually um, creating comics, novels, uh, video games or a TV series. And, and and that idea, while now it's very popular, like we see more publishers getting this idea of making universes or intellectual properties. Yes, yeah. I, yeah. I, I feel that Draco was, uh, yeah, one, one of the first ones, at, at least, uh, yeah, at least in Latin America, to be born in that way. Like we want to create intellectual properties where people can immerse themselves during a lifetime, just like... Mm-hmm. Star Wars or other properties uh, and we want to start that through the gaming uh, scene because the gaming community is just very noble and uh, great to to work with in the industry and all that so eventually with with that first meeting with Daniel I'm we started to bring together a, a team in Mexico from people who who were uh, doing stuff around RPGs and board games, uh, comics, writing. And that's how we created Eldritch Century, which is a pre-apocalyptic alternate history year with cosmic horror. It's it's just amazing that we were able to publish the RPG. 
but we discovered that we all love dragons as many people do and, yes. and then we decided to create a, a universe that was around dragons as protagonists and antagonists and taking inspirations from a lot of places like Aragon and, and Dragonlands, like a lot of dragon universes. But, but by that time, we named the company Draco Studios. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, and it started to grow. And, and now we have like a lot of 3D printing um, and other RPGs and comics and the casual games, which is the Dollars Rain Dinos and Creature Kingdoms universe. But we still do a lot around uh, dragons and RPGs, miniatures, board games, comics. Uh, we are starting like the script for the TV series. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> because you've got, I mean, you've got games like War for Chicken Island, <laughs> which, <Yeah>. just, <laughs> which, which just which because it's it's kind of strange because it's it's you can tell that you're kind of looking at things and going well okay what what's what you don't seem you have a, a kind of an eclectic mix of different projects so you've got like you said you've got kind of like your eldritch century you've got the miniatures and then one project later you're doing one about chickens and then you're going back to kind of resin miniatures about all about dragons um and then you've got then you've got kind of like your uh your fifth edition kind of role rpgs um so does that does it mean that then you've got the ability to kind of create the bigger community and also give kind of jobs to kind of artists you know within kind of like within kind of the, your contacts through it, kind of like Mexico, South America as well. Do you have like a list of kind of like artists and writers and stuff like that that you can refer to, that you can talk to, that you can help network and bring on with their ideas that they have? Uh, kind of like um, the reason why we always attend to Gen Con is because it's the best place to to make uh, relationships. Mm -hmm. And in there, in Gen Con, the first time we attended, we met... Tom Babi, who is yeah. uh, an artist from Wizards of the Coast and, and a lot of other major uh, brands. And Tom Babi loves dragons as well. So we we chat about making these huge dragons uh, very unique. The dragons of the Red Moon. We would, by, by then we had a resin cast workshop and mm -hmm. And decided to make them available in resin in 3d printing because uh, another of the partners also named daniel is is very active in the 3d printing community and tom Bobby helped us a lot to reach new artists uh, again mm -hmm. from industry veterans uh, like steve prescott or jason engel uh, tyler walpole uh, so many names from <laughs> from Wizards of the Coast uh, products that uh, have been shaped with them. And, and then on the sculpting side, we had something similar. And then Ag Angus Abramson in the, U in the UK also helped us uh, to reach out to other writers and editors. And eventually mm -hmm. we met Alessio Cavatore from River Horse. And Alessio would introduce to us to, to Mark Latam, to yeah. Caroline Pritchard-Lowe. And eventually, yes, we, we are a huge network right now of people working in Draco. 
uh, we started in Mexico, but right now we have <laughs> a, a team based worldwide. Uh, uh -huh. but, but yeah, usually we work through freelance for art, for sculpt and, and all that. And people interested in, in, in developing their games in that way, of course, we can recommend, but yeah, uh, yeah, it's it's like the same journey. <laughs> um, and then you had you had Dragon Bond, um, Lords of Valor, uh, which was, I mean, it did well over two hundred thousand dollars. You had about two and a half thousand kind of backers, and it's it looks like it was a bit of a departure from what you had done kind of before. Were you surprised by the kind of the level of success that it reached? Or were you kind of quietly, were you quietly confident it was going to do as well as it did? I, I'm, I'm always pleased when we break the barrier of 700 mm. backers. <laughs> yes. So yeah, I, I was pleased, surprised. But to be honest, I was confident that the game uh, would be able to fund because by the time we we launched Lord Sobala, we already have like a a great community of of backers of ambassadors, mm -hmm. and we kind of structured the campaign to to make sure that we are going to be able to fund, even though we put money from our pockets to to complete it. Yeah, yeah. What we don't know is how many stretch goals we are going to reach, and Lord Sobala to this day has been the most challenging project <laughs> I've been involved right. with because of all the expansions and the idea there was to make this huge game with miniatures and uh, and, and the gateway into the Dragon Bond universe yes. uh, the mechanics to translate very well on the lore of the universe and the cards to include flavor text uh, the expansions include some lore books and, and art so yeah, it, it it was very different to the other stuff we were doing, <laughs> and 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 yeah, I was surprised of of the results. If you if you if you did, if you did Lords of Valor again, was there any lessons that you learned that you would be right? We're going to do this instead, or we're definitely not going to be doing this bit because looking at the campaign. Um, there was a lot of additions and little stretch goals on the project and a lot of additional sculpts and miniatures and things like that. Is there, is there things that you would change if you were able to, to run the campaign again and still get the same level of success to make things kind of maybe easier for you, I guess? To be honest, yes. I, I've been thinking about that a lot, and especially because uh, we offered some expansions at the beginning Yes, but then we offered more expansions in a way that if backers um, request that and, and reach the goal in backer kit of the of ordering the the amount we needed to produce that, we would create more expansions because the backers were requesting more dragons and more factions to play mm -hmm. with, so that increased a lot the scope of the game and we had to to split the project uh, already while we had the Kickstarter project in yeah. process. So we offered two wave fulfillment. Yes. And right now I'm I'm very every day I, I am a bit more stressed because I want to fulfill the the, the rewards to backers. Yes. Uh, who ordered 
single wave shipping because some of them split their shipping and already received their base game. Others yes. are picking the base game at Gen Con. And other than that, the base game is released at retail. All of this was communicated with backers because I believe in full transparency on, on crowdfunding. Yes. And, but, but at the, the end, the expansions and all the translations, um, we used to work with localization partners for the Kickstarter and that complicated mm. the project uh, a bit because this, as I was telling, uh, includes a lot of text. <laughs> so yeah, if I were to go back, I would just fund the base game with an expansion that is maybe free for backers. Yes. And, and then after completing that, we would launch maybe another Kickstarter with the rest of the expansions. That's how yeah. I would do it today. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. And I think, um, I think one of the things with launching with a lot of expansions is that, and if we, as we've seen over the last couple of years, all it takes is, um, something to happen to like manufacturing in China yeah. for, <laughs> for kind of like prices to hugely increase and, yeah. or, you know, that to really, really hurt people's abilities to be able to kind of deliver, deliver the projects. Um, were you, did you get, was, uh, was Lords of Allah, was that manufactured in China? as well and then shipped over or did you look at different did you look at different sources for kind of manufacturing as well when you were kind of looking at the project well lots of was manufactured in china by mm. panda games manufacturing which oh, yeah, yeah. we believe have the highest quality standards mm. uh but because of that as well uh, panda is very detailed on their revisions and file verification mm -hmm. and that extends the time as well uh but at the end, the product is worth it. Like you can see that the game will, um, yeah, it's perfect in production terms. Back in the day when I was producing Tricksters, I was not aware that China have specialized factories for board games. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I had the idea that producing in China was not great. Yeah. In addition of not knowing anything about logistics. <laughs> so yeah. we decided to produce in Mexico that that game. And it was also a challenge, but it was very helpful to understand firsthand all the processes that takes for a, to manufacture a game and mm. the finishes that you have to include in each component in order to be uh, of a good quality, the materials. Mm. And... Later, my, my friend Pepe Magba also produced uh, a game here in Mexico last year. And he discovered that producing in Mexico, even though uh, labor is not expensive, yes, uh, the game costed twice as much as it would cost to produce in China, even with the freight shipping. So And, it, and China has better my machinery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So at the end, we print in China uh, most of our stuff other than the resin cast miniatures yeah i mean i think that's the case is that i think when people kind of weigh up and i've seen the discussion in you know with uh, people i know in america when i've asked them the question about kind of would they get manufactured in america and it's like it's just it's cost prohibitive yeah you know it's literally going to cost me you know i can get this manufactured in china for you know 25 dollars, and it's got all these minis it's got all these tokens and you know everything's fine if I go to America and I try to get this manufactured, it's going to cost me $50 a unit 
and I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to order kind of like 10,000 in order to kind of make it even kind of make it worth my while and kind of make it the, the kind of cost. So I've seen, I've seen people kind of, kind of argue that with regards to crowdfunding, is that, is that going to be your kind of your method kind of going forward with you building, putting as you would say, putting your fingers into many pies, as they would say. Um, and you've got so many different types of projects. Are you going to continue on the the kind of the crowdfunding kind of method, or are you looking at kind of like potential kind of distribution, having things with a longer tail and things like that, so you've got continual revenue kind of coming in? Well, crowdfunding at this point, and as I was saying, we don't see it as a way to raise funds of course mm. they are uh, super important but uh, personally with crowdfunding what i'm looking for is more to connect through a community or raise yeah. a crowd if, if you will okay. um it's more like connecting with with people who who are passionate about the products and also yeah. want uh, the looks uh, version or uh, a special incentive uh for being supporting di directly to us yeah, so yeah. we we expect to still do crowdfunding and because of of the large team that we have we have different units working on different stuff rpgs uh, miniatures board games uh comics casual games uh, so the trick there is that since it comes out from the same account yeah. sometimes it gives the impression the wrong impression but in reality is that we have a lot of separate teams and we have other ways to to get funding sometimes, not not all times. Mm -hmm. And crowdfunding is also like a huge uh, event for us to centralize uh, marketing, uh, like yes. getting previews or reviews or, you know, just aligning press releases. So I imagine there's no reason why we wouldn't do a crowdfunding even though we we are changing slightly we already enter into distribution through yeah through some distributors in the US yes and we are starting to try new crowdfunding platforms such as backerkit crowdfunding yes yes uh, we will include like a pre-order in there it's not exactly like a key a crowdfunding with with tons of stretch goals is more like a pre-order yes. uh, and, and again, a way to centralize the efforts on marketing and connecting with the people who want a premium experience. And also that, like finally, with that idea, at least the projects that I manage, I like to involve the community, include some uh, challenges, achievements, social goals or backer choices, like anything that would make it more like a transaction. As a backer myself, it's always enjoy enjoyable when you are able to get a voice in a product. And when yeah. you receive that product and you see that a card is named uh, after an idea that you suggested or something like that, it's it's like the experience more than the product. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What, what gets you excited at the moment? Do you still, I mean, will you, when you're going to pick Gen Con, will you be going there to play games as well do you still uh -huh. have kind of like regular game nights yourself do you know obviously i understand that you have you know you've got a young baby so you know 
every spare minute probably at the moment you'll be you'll be sleeping or you'll be you know you'll be helping to look after the wee one um but when you go to gen con are do you get to spend a couple of hours just going and playing some games checking out some kind of role-playing campaigns and stuff like that yourself sadly no (laughs) (laughs) i i i yearn so much for the day when i can go to gen con just as a attendee with Mm. my family and play some games but yeah gen con is more like um yeah it's work for us so i'm excited because i i have to bring a set of lorcana (laughs) as i was saying i'm a huge train car game player or used to be and now with lorcana i'm able to introduce that to to my wife pam uh, disney lorcana and also some promos like flamecraft from Carbon yeah. Alchemy and, and Lucky Dog. I want to get yeah. that promo. But other than that is, uh, <laughs> yeah, like just going to attend the booth, to host mm. the demos, to yeah. me- having meetings with, with people from the industry. And, and and yeah, with the baby right now, it's I'm not able to play as much as we used. But uh, last year when, when Pam was pregnant, I uh, we, we had a lot of gaming nights. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was different. Pam, Pam is also uh, she's a chief operations officer right. in Draco okay. Studios. Yeah. She's the one who makes things happen at Draco. She's fantastic, uh, yeah. and of course, well, I say so because she's my wife. And of, I'm her, <laughs> yeah, but, of course. Yeah. <laughs> but what what I mean is, uh, yeah, it's it's such a blessing to have like a partner in life who is also like uh, enjoys the same hobbies so it's, yeah we, we share work but also we share the hobby and uh yeah it's fantastic uh so we don't play as much now but mm. pepe magba uh because of all the board game cafes and all that he believes that if, if we are doing game publishing we need to mm. play games and we need to play the new stuff that is being released so pepe plays every every day uh, yeah. at the Borgin Cafe with our team from Guadalajara, from Detestable Games. Yeah. So I trust that they, as the board game design course, that also playtests other game titles for Draco, <laughs> they, <laughs> they have the eye to spot some game design aspects. Uh, and I focus more on the, on the creative side of the art, of the editing, of the product itself, of the marketing, on the crowdfunding. The... One of the one of the things that struck me about Lords of Valor is is the kind of the art. The mm-hmm. the box cover for Lords of Valor is wonderful. Uh, I mean, I am I am a huge art snob, huh. and I don't think I've seen anything as as just stand out, and it looks epic. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Do you remember? Was there quite? Do you remember the moment when you first saw it, when you kind of like, you saw the art? Was there quite a few different kind of variations of that box uh, cover? Or was it just like, did it just work? Did somebody say, oh, you mean these dragons with these? <laughs> or was it quite a few different kind of variants of the of the cover that you go through? It was like the culmination of so many years of work because mm. Tom Bobby, after we created these dragons, uh, which right now are nominated for the Ennis on Jenkins, yes. um, Tom Bobby helped us 
reached new artists and he became art director of Dragon Ball and started to work with, with Steve Prescott and other artists to create the concept art. Mm -hmm. Steve Prescott has done such a major work on the Dragon Ball IP to, to create unique concepts. And he created the sketch of the cover, but uh, because of deliverables, he was not able to finish um, with the short turnaround time that we had. <laughs> so we had another artist from Mexico that he started working with us, uh, mm. Aldo Dominguez, to finish from the sketch of Steve Crescott. And it was like a collaboration, of course, wow. with the direction of Tom Babi. And because of all the concept art that we already have, it was like easy to include all the... The, well, not easy, but, you know, the conceptual part was already done. It was more like a composition work. And as far as I can remember, Steve and, and Tom, they showed us that sketch. I imagine there, there might have been other quick scribbles or sketches, but Tom and, and Steve are truly awesome at their work. And then Aldo finished that cover. Uh, Aldo also did a lot of work with us on Dragon Bond and eventually uh, Wizards of the Coast people call him to work on Magic the Gathering which was his his dream as yeah. a child so even though Aldo is no longer working with us we have enabled uh, many people at Mexico who worked at Dragon Studios to to take a, a next step working with with major companies and that's also like a pleasing side of kind of being like the incubator as well of people not just projects and board game yeah i mean sometimes if somebody's got an opportunity and mm -hmm. it's oh it's a dream of theirs sometimes you could you just kind of have to to let them go i mean you can give them a couple of years and then you can always bring them back and again once he's had the wizard of the wizard of the coast kind of experience um with you building up such a huge world is there any part of you that wants to do kind of smaller stuff again? Do you want to do more kind of dodos on dinos? You want to do more of the kind of the chicken war stuff and things like that? Uh, actually, it's the other way around. I miss doing the major stuff <laughs> because of, of New Parenthood last year and Dracos is growing so much in, in yeah. every aspect. We had a, an internal talk uh, until last year I was CEO of the company and we had to restructure the company and now it has some internal divisions um, yes they, they are not like public facing but right now I'm just focusing on the lighter experiences which are uh, games like those riding dinos hmm. a new one that is coming that is party panda pirates <laughs> uh, okay. like, you know stuff like that you have to explain party party panda pirates. Then. Sure, is that, is that a card game? Is it a what kind of game? Is it's uh, what we expect to be the best uh, mini game experience. Like Dodos Riding Dinos, as as we discussed before in the yeah. podcast, um, yeah. was born taking inspiration by Mario Kart. Yes. So, Party Panda Pirates takes inspiration from Mario Party. <laughs> okay. So it's a game where where you enable a, a, a lot of mini games. These are pirates that are looking for for the best party experiences across the seas. Yeah. And there's a very quick mechanic to you know getting to select a mini game 
like like in Mario Party, the vi the video game, the the board is not as important as the mini games. Mm -hmm. And then you have tons of mini games of different kinds. You have dexterity games, um, reaction games, like betting games, different mechanics. And our vision with that is to provide like a ton of support and ongoing life to Party yeah. of the Pirates with mini games modules from different designers or a particular mechanic or a particular component yeah. and that is what i'm currently working on and the rest of the team is well not the rest as i was saying other team members are working on dragon bond and all the major stuff and sometimes i missed like all those huge world building and immersive experiences but i'm glad yeah. that uh, we ha we had to restructure because of our growth well, I guess the other thing is as well is if you're at the point where you're not having to run about looking after every single project that's going on, then it does allow you to focus properly on and, and, and do yeah. the best work. I think you, you can get yeah. to a point as a business if you are looking at the finances, looking at the marketing, looking at the product, looking at you know, organizing, making sure everybody's got coffee in their cup, <laughs> then you can end up kind of being kind of spread, kind of spread too thin. But you, ha you have got, um, you've got, you mentioned Dragon Bond kind of quest and that's behind the, the, from the team that kind of created Warhammer quest. Yeah. Um, do you never feel like kind of like sneaking next door and just checking <laughs> checking what they're, <laughs> checking what they're doing do you get do you get told off do you get a row if somebody kind of if you're kind of going in and just checking the kind of the the dragon bond quest stuff do you get told william go back and do, go back go back into your other job yeah it's uh, since we work in slack we we, yes. we have these channels with the projects and then yes. when whenever i see activity in the dragon bond quest or in some yeah. dragon bond projects i would just yeah. pick very quickly like how is that looking uh because i'm i'm excited and curious so <laughs> with dragon bond quest is the same <laughs> um, um when would you mm -hmm. know when's uh when's dragon bond quest is coming to kickstarter pretty soon isn't it is in the next is it next couple of months or something Dragon yeah, Bond yeah. After so much work with the Lords of All expansions and the translations yeah. and the factory revisions, we are finally in mass productions for the expansions. And right now, we mm. that side of the team has no development, well, had no development work to continue. So Dragon Bond Quest entered mm. into the pipeline uh, for graphic design and all of that. So in September, the Kickstarter is expected to launch. Right now, there's a sign-up page for the mm. Kickstarter, Dragon Bond Quest. And... Uh, and yeah, that's um, in a way that Lords of Battle expansions are finally getting to backers by the end of the year. So mm -hmm. we are preparing the Dragon Bond Quest, which is a spiritual successor of Heroes of Terrinod and Warhammer Quest that's... by the Sadler Brothers. <laughs> that's big, big boots to fill. <laughs> that's big, big shoes to <laughs> fill indeed. Um, are, have you had a chance to play it? Are they letting you? Yes. Have you? No, yes, yes. Um, I, I, I raised my hand to say, I want to play this. That. And <laughs> I, I really enjoyed it. Like at, at the beginning, I was um, not very sure 
mm. uh, of how much different it would be from the other uh, heroes of Terrynoth. And no, I, I loved it. I love the fact that there's no player elimination, mm -hmm. the Dragon Ball mechanic, because it's important in the lore that mortals and dragons can uh, kind of get bonded and merge their life essences. So yeah. in the game, there's also a possibility, while dragons are um, aggressive to players, um, there's a way to bond with dragons. It's a bit hard, but if you are able to do that, then it's very pleasing to to get all that power and help you in the cooperative process. Um, yeah, yeah, because that was a that I was really a major it. that was a major mechanic in uh, Lords of Valor. Yeah, was that you could start you started off like as um, you started off as four separate players, but mm. depending on how the game how the game progressed, you could end up in a situation where you were <clears throat> you you were both kind of rolling a dice to see if you bonded. And then if you did bond, you became allies. And then if you won the game, then you kind of won the game kind of together, together. Which, was, which was unusual and a very, very unusual kind of mechanic. And, 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 and kind of I've not, personally, I've not seen that kind of mechanic before. So it was a pretty, pretty interesting mechanic to kind of, kind of have in the game. Um, <clears throat> and it sounds like if Dragonborn Quest is kind of heading, heading the same way, It'll be interesting to see how how that kind of goes as well. Um, on cards, card games, as I'm going to go a quick aside, I have yeah. The, the difference in here being that uh, yeah. players play as 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 the characters, as the heroes. Yes. So if you bond with a dragon, is it still you? Uh, because the game is already fully cooperative. But in Lords of Valor, players can play as dragons or mortals, so that's why you could become bonded. Uh, with yeah. with another player, and and yeah, it was a very interesting mechanic to develop. We had to playtest a lot and iterate because of backers' feedback. Yes. What, what yes. I was telling that we enjoy to integrate backers into the development, and we ended up changing what we initially proposed in the Kickstarter, so that it yeah it felt more balanced and still you get satisfaction of winning even though someone else is looking to bond with you. You still yes. get to win, and of course there are ways to remove that rule if you don't enjoy it. Or once you are familiar with the game, there are ways to maximize your chances to avoid getting bonded if yes. you don't want to. Yes. But it's also exciting because in the lore, uh, when you get dragon bonded, the dragon and the mortal become more powerful over time. So in here you unlock a new mechanic that interacts with each other, a new ability depending on your character. Mm -hmm. So that's also like very cool to to enable in Lords of Valor. I'm re <clears throat> I'm reminded of the place one of my favorite PlayStation um, One games, which was called Breath of Fire Four, mm. and that was about that was a mixture of kind of like dragons and people. So I kind of got that I kind of got that vibe vibe from it. Um, so what I'll do is uh, obviously we will we'll make sure that we we make people aware of Dragonborn Quest when it's going to be out there. But if people have listened along tonight and they want to keep an eye on what Draco Studios is up to, where can they find you on the internet? Where do you exist? Mainly. Our website has a link to our Discord server, and mm. we 
we are very 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 active in there with mm. people who uh, whatever their interest is dragon bond rpgs 3d printing or the lighter yeah. games creature kingdoms uh we are always active in there and other than that we are also in facebook and instagram we post youtube videos regularly and we also have the kickstarter profile but it's mostly discord where we are directly active with the community wonderful okay well as i say we will get all those links from you and we'll put them in the show notes so that we've got notes to show um if you want to keep an eye on what we're up to then you just find us in all the normal places as well just search for we're not wizards and you'll find us on like i mean there's like threads and there's i don't know threads and blue skies and twitter i don't know the whole thing's becoming crashing downs and x as well and some kind of weird kind of thing but you you know where to find us it's fine but if you have enjoyed what you've listened to tonight then please consider going to your podcast catcher of choice and dropping us a rating or a review if you are going to be giving us a rating or a review uh, don't give us 10 stars because it makes me big-headed but don't give me one star because it makes us cry give us something in the middle like a five because it's average and we're just a little bit average but the person who's not been average is a rather wonderful rather fantastic William Burgos thank you very very much for guesting there's only two more questions well two more things we need to do the first thing is to remember that we're many things but we're not wizards are we wizards William we are not wizards there you go we're dragons we are dragons exactly I was tempted to say that (laughs) we are dragons And the second thing is to say goodbye. So it's a goodbye from William. Say goodbye, William. Goodbye, everyone, and thank you. (laughs) And it's a goodbye from me. Remember, stay safe, roll sixes, make something awful. And uh, if you're going to get bonded, make sure it's dragon bonded. But until the next time, goodbye. A wizard is never linked. Nor is he early. He arrives precisely when he means to.